Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. We are continuing our series in the book of James this morning, and in this message we talk about controlling our tongue as James once again gives a challenging word to the church. Okay, so to start off with this morning, before I start into the message, I just want to give everyone uh, just a little update um, on our uh, children's pastor uh, search, just so you know that... uh, Um, We have narrowed it down to a couple of candidates from the resumes that we have gotten. And so probably sometime in the month of May, we will have a candidate and their family here for a weekend in order to do interviews with... with the church staff, with the church board, with the people who work in our children's ministry, and any parent who would like to be involved. Now, last time I did the parent interview, two parents showed up. So I'm kind of hoping that more of you parents will be more invested this time and come on out and interview this person, okay? And uh, so I'm just uh, letting you know, and so I'm thinking, I mean, depending upon what happens, it'll probably be June or so before we have uh, anyone here. But we are moving forward with it, and uh, hopefully we're going to have this uh, position filled uh, soon. And so, good morning again. Welcome to FAM Church, everyone. So we're continuing our study through the book of James this morning. And uh, last week we left off at the end of chapter 2. And uh, in, in the last several verses of chapter 2, James challenges believers to make sure that they prove their faith by their actions. That's what the end of that section was about. And he gave a couple of examples of what that looks like in uh, talking about how we care for those who are hungry and in need and giving clothes to those. And then he goes on to talk about Abraham and Rahab and how they lived and how their actions proved their faith. And where we're going now in chapter 3 is kind of a continuation of this whole idea and concept, Okay. He's talking about in chapter 3 additional things, additional elements that help to prove that your faith is indeed real, that God has indeed done something in your life. And so, um, and so to get into this this morning, let's start off by trying to tame something, all right? Has anybody ever tried to tame anything that looked untamable? No, you guys have all got this, okay? You guys are all under control. Maybe some of you guys out there... You met a woman, Joelle, is that what you were saying? You met a woman that's untamable? Just wondering. All right. But you guys out there, you met this woman, and you said to yourself, I am going to tame her. And you worked and worked and worked at it, but it didn't happen. Or ladies, maybe it's the same thing for you. You saw this guy, and you said, oh, yeah, that's the man for me right there. I am going to tame him. But it didn't work out the way you planned. Maybe you tried to tame a horse. How many of you have seen the movie uh, Spirit? Uh, What is it? What's the whole title here? I got a Stallion of the Cimarron. Seen that movie? No, how many? It looks like most of you probably haven't even heard of it. Um, But so this was a staple around our house when our kids were little, okay? It was like we watched this movie multiple times a week. Partly it was because it had a horse in it, and all of our girls, all of my girls love horses. But the movie is about this horse. Uh, his name is Spirit, and he is the king of the Mustangs. And he spends his whole life 
with people trying to tame him, okay? And uh, the U.S. Army captures him, and they try and tame him, but they can't do it. And then uh, after that, this, this little Native American boy thinks he's got this, and he tries to tame him, but he can't do it. And this spirit, this stallion who's unable to be tamed, goes out and stops the railroad from going through his land and uh, keeps it free, and he's the untamable horse that defeats the U.S. Army and stops the railroad company from building tracks through his homeland. And it was all because this horse could not be tamed. And uh, I remember one thing that I had a hard time taming once, and that was a floor buffer. Has anyone ever used one of those? Okay. I told this story in another message, but so those of you uh, who've heard it before, this is your bonus material, okay? And so... So we were living in Boston, and the church that we were in, the, the room that the sanctuary was in, it had those, you know, those 12 by 12 tiles, those industrial tiles. You'll see them like at schools or in cafeterias and stuff like that, and, and they were just all over the, the church sanctuary, and, and with those tiles, you have to buff them every once in a while. You have to get out a buffer and take this solution and spray and buff the floor, right? And so one day, the pastor says to me, hey, how would you like to buff the floors? And my thought is, I've never done this before, but I've watched people with that little machine, and it looks so easy. It looks so simple. It didn't look complicated at all. And if you're saying to yourself, what is a buffer? It's just basically this, this circle. It looks like a vacuum, but it's got a circle on the bottom of it with a motor and a giant buffing pad on it. And you've got a trigger up here that you squeeze, and that starts the motor and the buffer pad spinning. And that, that's all there is to it. And so you watch people do this, and I was just like, oh, this is super easy. We got this. And so me and this other guy, we got, we got this pastor. We're going to take care of this floor. And so we got up all the chairs off of the floor, and we stacked them against the wall, and we got the buffer, and we got the spraying solution. And we took that buffer, we set it in the middle of the room, and he was like, uh, do you know how to use this? I'm like, no. Do you know how to use it? No. Almost anything, okay? And so, so I'm like, I'll try this. And so I take the buffer and I squeeze the handle and it just goes, boom, and smashes into the wall and literally puts a giant dent in the wall, okay? I'm like, oh, that was not good. So I'm like, let me try that again. So I squeeze it this time and it flies the opposite direction and it takes out a whole stack of chairs, Okay? And so we're sitting there looking at this buffer saying, what on earth do we got to do to tame this thing? Because we've got to buff these floors. We said we would buff the floors. How do we tame it? So we come up with this brilliant idea, okay? The idea is this. One of us will stand on top of the buffer wheel while the other one squeezes the trigger. So here's what happens. I said, I'll stand on the buffer. Yeah, I'm just, really, I'll try almost anything. Um, and so I stand on the buffer, I get up on the buffer, I'm holding the motor and I've got my feet like this, and he squeezes to go, and all of a sudden you just hear, and smoke coming out of the motor. See, we went from trying to tame this buffer to breaking it in a matter of minutes. I did eventually learn how to use the buffer and use it correctly, so now if we need anything buffed, I can take care of that. But it didn't work out that day. All right, so let's move into what we're going to talk about today because we're talking about taming something. And, and, and if you've been around the church for a while, last June I did a message on, these text, on this text here in James chapter 3. It's the now famous cow tongue message. Those of you that were here for it, we got some good pictures on Facebook of, of me holding up a cow tongue. I preached the whole time with a cow tongue. I'm not going to do that this time. The content that we're going to talk, take this from a different angle than we took it at that time. But yeah, it was the now famous cow tongue 
tongue uh, sermon, and uh, we do not have video of that, but we just, we've had pictures, we had pictures, that's it. So if you want to watch it, I don't know what to tell you, it's probably out there on audio that you can pay attention to, but we're going to be in the book of James this morning, chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 13 in chapter 3. Um, and if you're not familiar with where it's at or unable to locate the letters, uh, this letter of James or these verses, it'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. And this is what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all str- stumble in many ways. Everyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, setting the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so as I read that text this morning, I can totally relate to what is being said. Because I sometimes have a hard time controlling my tongue. Okay, I sometimes have a hard time biting down on my tongue. There is still some restless evil in there. There is still some poison that's in there flowing and just ready to spit out. And sometimes I say things that I should not say to people. You know, if I get irritated with someone, I can insult them and try to use my tongue to cut them down. If my wife and I get into a heated discussion, I can sometimes say insulting things towards or about her. And I've been a follower of Jesus for 28 years. And no matter how long it seems I walk with Jesus, this tongue is still there, a force in my mouth that always needs to be contended with because I can't seem to totally get a rein upon it. So how many of you can relate to that? All right. How many of you are thinking, well, if none of us, if all of us can relate to that, what hope is there for any of us to get control of our tongue? But there is hope. There is hope. (laughs) Carol, you just make me laugh. All right. Our hope comes in understanding what God has given us to tame our tongue and then use what God has given us to keep control of it so the poison does not spray out, so that our tongue does not start forest fires, so that this little part of our body does not corrupt the whole thing. And so to start off with in this, the first thing that we have to understand is that the tongue, its actions and activities have power. I was listening to something really interesting this week. I listened to all kinds of eclectic podcasts. And on this one podcast, it was a podcast, they were doing a study about people and their behavior in sports. 
especially children. They had just done a study of why kids behaved like they did when they were playing sports because parents were noting that the child that they had at their house, sometimes when they got out on the sports field, whether it was baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, football, whatever, suddenly this person would change. This child who never cursed would all of a sudden start cursing at people. And they really wanted to know what was going on there. What changed when a child hit the sports court that caused them to suddenly become a different person? And so they interviewed this one kid on it, and they said, they said to this one kid, he was a really good basketball player, he was like 14 years old, he's on a traveling basketball team. And his dad was really concerned because he says, when my son gets out on the basketball court, he starts cursing, he starts whining, he starts yelling at the referees, and he goes, I don't understand it because he doesn't do that in real life. And so they started off with this question to the kid. They said to him, who's your favorite basketball player? He said, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson plays uh, for the Golden State Warriors. And... Um, then they asked him, okay, so when you're out on the basketball court and all of a sudden you start to act differently than you do anywhere else, like you start whining, you start complaining, you start yelling at the refs, you start cursing, why do you do that when you're on the basketball court but you don't do it at home? His response was this, I see Clay Thompson doing it when he plays and I want to be just like him so I do the same thing. See, Clay Thompson's actions and his tongue really have a big negative effect on this kid. See, this kid was learning from Clay what you are supposed to act like on a basketball court, and that meant cursing, complaining, and running your mouth. But that's not what the parents wanted their kid to be learning. But see, that's the power that our tongue has on others. This is why this text opens up with a verse that says being a teacher is something not many are called to. Why? Because what we say has an impact on those around us when we are a teacher, whether we are saying it from the stage to someone who works at Walmart to someone whose political views we disagree with. And that includes all those negative things we say to and about people, the things we say about how people look, how they dress, how they act, how they smell, or anything else about the person. You see, when you are a teacher, too many teachers believe that they can use their tongue however they want to. And when they do that, that's teaching a message that is counter to the message that Jesus has. Jesus tells us that he is the one who will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering ember. However, when our tongue is not in control, we're willing to use it however we want to, and we're bruising up reeds, we're snuffing out embers, we're doing everything we can to speak, and James lets us know that that's not going to go unpunished, and at some point, those of us who are teachers are going to be judged more severely than others because of that. And some of you are probably saying to yourself, well, thank God I'm not a teacher then, so I don't have to worry about this. Well, can I tell you that's not true, because here's the deal. In reality, guess what? We are all teachers. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. See, if people know that you're a follower of Jesus, if they know that you go to church, if they know that you even read your Bible, guess what they are doing? They are watching every single action and word that you speak to see if you really believe what Jesus is teaching. They want to learn from you who Jesus is. And see, when we live our life cutting and using our tongue to cut people down and tear them up and to, to set fires and to, to spit out poison, we're teaching them that's who Jesus is. 
They listen to everything you say to learn about Jesus. They watch everything that we do to learn about Jesus. Is that fair? No. But it's the reality of life. We are all teachers of who Jesus is if we are followers of his. And so that means that as teachers of who Jesus is in this world, we have to be willing to step up and say, you know what? I need to control my tongue because, A, that's one of the works that proves my faith. And from what James says here, it's one that few of us really get a hold of, but yet we're going to be held accountable for. So it's something we really need to get a hold of because not only does it have an effect on our teaching, controlling our tongues has an effect on our life. James tells us that when we are unable to control our tongues, it affects us. One of the impacts, he says, is it corrupts the whole body. You're saying to yourself, well, how can my tongue corrupt the whole body? If you, do, if you look at some, what they've done in brain research and language, it's just amazing these days. But here's a couple of things that they found. I could have probably done uh, a whole 20 minutes on this whole thing. But okay, so, so what they found is, let's say you curse a lot. They found a connection between people who curse a lot and people with short tempers. They found that the more you curse, the shorter your fuse usually is. And so when we're using our tongue to curse, we're actually inflaming the anger inside of us, whether we realize it or not. And what does that lead to? When we can't control our temper, when we can't control our anger, it leads to all sorts of problems in life, okay? It doesn't just lead to us being angry all the time. It'll lead to us saying other things to other people, yelling at people, screaming at people, uh, uh, just, you know, losing our temper on a regular basis. And, and we want peace, don't we? We want peace in our life. Well, part of getting that sort of peace in our life and not allowing things and our anger to take over is watching and controlling our tongue and not allowing certain things to come out of our mouth. So the things that we speak also help to set the tone, the direction, and the actions of our life. Here's another study that they did. They found that if you are a negative person and you speak negativity with your tongue, it adversely affects your mental state. Researchers have found that negative talk leads to higher levels of stress, greater feelings of helplessness, and it's also linked to depression. Amen. See, for some of us, our tongue may be our greatest enemy at the place we are at in life, and so we need to get it under control, and we need to fix it if we want the abundant life that Jesus has called us to have. But there's a challenge in this day and age, isn't there? We live now in a time and a place where controlling your tongue is not the accepted norm, right? People feel like they can say whatever they want, whenever they want, and however they want. We've got people just running around setting fires with their tongue. They think that's God's gift to them. Yeah, I'm just, gonna, I'm just stirring things up. That's what God's called me to do. No, he hasn't, okay? We just have groups that feel they can say whatever, do whatever, accuse people of whatever so that they can move things and try and get their way. And when we see other people doing that, especially when it comes to something that we really believe in personally, we feel like, well, if they're responding by not control, or if they're giving us not controlling their tongue at us, then we have the right to respond back to them in the same way. We fight fire with fire. That's a musical reference. I don't know if anybody got that one in there. Did anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Couple of people? I don't know. All right, who was it? Yes! All right, who said Metallica? All right, Chad. Yeah, that was a Metallica song, sorry. I just threw that in there. All right. <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry. Um, that is how Jesus has called us to live as followers of his. He doesn't want our tongues to be used to start fires. He doesn't want our tongues to be used to trash, tear down, or rip apart anyone. Because when we use our tongue like that, it corrupts us. It causes us to be poison. It can set our life on fire, but not just any fire, the fire of hell. And that should scare us, because you know what that means? It means that if we fail to work at controlling our tongue, we are doing the work of hell. See, James is bold and in our face, but that's what we are doing. See, those of us that are followers of Jesus in this room, I know that's not what we want to be about. We don't want to be a force of evil and hell in this world, but if we fail to control our tongue, that's what we are in fact doing. And so I hope you're asking yourself this question now as you're sitting there this morning. I hope you're saying to yourself, well, what can I do? Because as James says, we've tamed all kinds of animals, but the tongue is on a whole nother level. Well, there's no easy solution to this. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, give me a quick process to tame my tongue, it's not going to happen. Because taming your tongue takes one thing and one thing only. It's a word we don't like. It's called self control. We've spoken about this several times during messages recently, and it's not something we really have anymore because we live in a society that tries to define us by how little we lack self-control. Everything is geared towards us not having self-control. I mean, just look at it. That's what the advertising is all about, to try and get us to buy stupid stuff that we really don't need in the first place, right? Right? It's to try and get us to a place where we say, I need that, I want that. We're in a time where we can get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it without having to wait. So, yeah, like uh, I ordered Dana, uh, her birthday was last Sunday. Those of you that were here, I ordered her a birthday present, and it said three days shipping. Well, I haven't gotten it yet, and it's been uh, like 14 days, and I'm saying to myself, I am so mad. I'm just like, seriously? This should have been here the next day. There's no excuse why that present should have been at my house the next day, right? Everything has to be fast without waiting. And when something becomes hard, challenging, and difficult, we walk away because extended periods of self-control are just too hard. This is so evident when it comes to something that I know all of us have tried to do, and it's called weight loss. How many of you have recently set out to lose weight or get in shape? All right, nobody. All right, well, that's good. Well, Sandra was. Okay, Paul, we got two people. All right. See, how this works is usually, you know, people, when, when they set off to lose weight, they start off strong, right? That first week, you go, you go to the grocery store and you buy all kinds of fruits and vegetables and healthy foods and you stock your refrigerator up. And so that first week, you're like, all right, I'm just eating healthy all week. I'm, I'm staying away from McDonald's. I'm staying away from Burger King. I'm staying away from Chick-fil-A. I'm staying away from any of the fast food places that are out there and I'm just going to eat this healthy stuff, Right? And so that first week we do it, man, and we join the gym and we're, we're at the gym five days that week and we eat really healthy and after the first week we've lost four pounds and we're like, whew, I got this, I'm rocking it. 
Well, then what happens the next week? Well, our schedule suddenly gets a little bit busier, and we don't have as much time to eat the fresh food. And then we also realize the hit that our budget took when we bought fresh food because buying processed food is so much cheaper. There's been a couple of times recently where Dana's bought all of this fresh fruits and vegetables, and I almost had a heart attack when I saw how much was spent on groceries. I mean, it was really like, dear God, really? So the second week, we, we go to McDonald's a couple more times. And, and so that end of that week, we've only lost two pounds. And then uh, we go into the third week. And by the third week, it's too hard to get up early in the morning and go to the gym. And we're just too tired after work to go to the gym. And so we only go one day that week. And we're eating more fast food. And then we say to ourselves, by week four, we're like, dude, I've, only lost, I've been doing this four weeks. And I've only lost like six or seven pounds. What on earth is the problem here? I should be down 30 pounds by now. And so we say, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to eat cake again, right? That's how it usually goes. But what we have to understand is how long did it take us to get to that place where we need to lose 30 pounds? Years, right? 10 years. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to come off overnight after a month of dieting and a few workouts at the gym, okay? And we do the same thing with our walk with Jesus. We want to pray a prayer and have a 10, 20, or 40-year history of having no self-control be gone overnight. See, we just want Jesus to set us free without having to do any work. We want to pray, run one prayer, and have it all change. And if it doesn't go that way, then God, well, he's a jerk. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. That's not true. See, God is not the genie in the sky making sure that he grants every wish of ours. He's not there to make sure that we do not have to wait for anything, to make sure all of our needs are taken care of and life is smooth and easy for us. See, too many people allow that view of God to wreck their faith. God doesn't give me what I ask for when I ask for it and there's something wrong with God. I'm not going to give my, uh, my life for him if that's the way he's going to roll. The, praise, the prayers that we pray, we've got to understand this, are as much about us as the work that needs to be done in us as they are about getting something from God. You see, God uses prayers that we pray as a part of the teaching process in life. And one of those areas that he develops through our prayer is self-control. He sometimes answers no to our prayer requests, and there's other times that he will say wait, not because of any reason other than he wants us to know that not getting what we want when we want it is good for us. And so that means for some of us, we're dipping out of learning self-control by walking away from him because we didn't get what we want when we wanted it. Second thing that we need to know about self-control is that it's one of the fruit, it's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And those verses tell us this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so what this is saying is that because it's a fruit of the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit should be producing self-control in our life. But what we have to understand about this, how God operates in this world, is that when he gives us self-control, he just doesn't come along and say, let me give you some self-control, bam, and it's over, okay? This is not how it works ever. 
What God does to help us learn self-control is he puts us in places and situations where we're going to have to have self-control in us and on us from ourselves, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't just zap us and put power on us and say, you're going to have self-control to stand against this. No, he's going to put us in situations and say, hey, look, all right, this is there. That's a temptation, but I'm here to tell you, have self-control, resist it, stay away from it. And this comes, the ability to do that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So where do we get this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God and he comes and lives inside of us when we become a follower of Jesus and this this is no ordinary kind of spirit. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Okay, this Holy Spirit that we're talking about that gives us the fruit of the Spirit inside of us, it tells us in another text that this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's talk about some powerful things. Okay, we've got some powerful things in this world. We've got nuclear bombs. They're very powerful. We have never been able to create something that has literally been able to raise people back from the dead when they've been in a tomb for days. But the Holy Spirit, with his supernatural power, was able to come into that tomb and just give supernatural power to Jesus to come out of that tomb. That's powerful. Bringing something back from the dead. And the deal is is that same power lives inside of each one of us if we are a follower of Jesus. And if it's powerful enough to raise the dead, then that power is also enough to help us with self-control and keeping a rein on our tongue. See, we need to let the Holy Spirit, when he comes, because we all know when we're saying wrong stuff with our tongue, right? We generally don't go, oh man, Wow, I, that, I had no idea that was terrible. No, we know when we're doing things. We know when we're using our tongue in a bad way. And usually God will, at least for me anyways, he'll, as you're about to say it, he'll tap me on the shoulder and say, Psst, buddy, that's a bad plan, don't say it. And Jesus is working that way in all of our lives who follow him. When it comes to controlling our tongue, he's standing there. He's tapping us on the shoulder. He's speaking to us. But we have to be willing to access that power that he's going to give us to keep our tongue under control. James says no human has the power to tame the tongue. We don't have to have the power. The Spirit of God has the power inside of us that can keep that deadly poison that the tongue spits up from messing up our lives. See, those of us who follow Jesus in here, if God has told us to not use our tongue in a certain way, and we use our tongue in that way, guess what that's called? Yeah, that's called sin. See, when God says we need to control our tongue and we fail to do it, what we are actually doing is sin. We're using our mouth in a way other than the way God intended it to be used. Guys, we need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit.
We need to tap into the power and the presence of God in those situations and allow Him to help us to keep control of our tongues so that we don't speak into situations things that are destructive, things that are hurtful, things that are going to just mess up our life. And that's where it starts for all of us. We've got to see that, guess what? People are watching you because they know you're a follower of Jesus. People are watching me because they know I am a follower of Jesus. And we have to make sure that the words that we speak go along with that calling that we have as teachers of other people. We have to make sure that our tongue speaks the words that God wants us to speak. And the way, the best way we can do that is by just tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing the fruit of the Spirit of self-control to be birthed in our lives. And when Jesus comes a-tapping and says, that's a bad idea, stop, resist, have the self-control, and keep our tongue under control. And this is another one of the ways that we show the world, that we show this world that we live in, that our faith is real, that Jesus has actually done something in our life. Because who else has control of their tongue? Man, if if those who follow Jesus have control of their tongue and everybody else doesn't, it's going to speak volumes to this world in which we live in about who he is and the power that he can have in our lives to help us live in a way that's good and that's glorifying. And so we need to make that commitment today to live in that power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray that God will help each one of us who follow Jesus to be who he's called us to be, to control our tongue so that we don't get involved in the sin and the destruction that comes with failing to control our tongue. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.